Hello, listeners. You are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans and is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you'd call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we did the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride through the 2022 MLB offseason lockout. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. First podcast recording in February, Alex. We made it to February Sunday. Woohoo! February 6th is the day me and Alex, of course, recording this episode. Um, not too much, of course, going on in the baseball world. Not too much going on in the sports world, I'll say right now. Um, NFL, we're one week away from the Super Bowl. Rams, Bengals, SoFi, excellent game next Sunday. And uh, all other sports are kind of just, you know, still in midseason mode. A lot of all-star games happening this weekend. But uh, purpose for us, of course, to talk about baseball. But, hey, the past two months, it's been kind of hard to talk about baseball because it's been sad. we don't have too much new news on the season so far. But we'll kind of get into some uh, updates on the lockout that's going on today. I know Alex has a lot of updates when it comes to, you know, players starting to voice their opinions over social media. Um, news coming out from analysts about, you know, just kind of how tensions are kind of rising between the owners and the players. So we'll kind of take a deeper dive into that. Then we'll also transition over to uh, basically ESPN this week made a kind of just analysts and media people and writers all created this top 100 list. And it was honestly, it was kind of the big thing on Twitter. I think it was either Wednesday or Thursday of this past week. I, right. I think it was actually a couple of days, but um, basically posting their top, you know, 51 through 100. And then, of course, 20, I think it was 26 through 50 and then 25 down to one. So top 100 list. And it really got the debates and conversations going on Twitter. Um, I, I think I saw 10 plus people that don't even watch baseball or don't even talk about baseball start talking about baseball because some people were really just disrespected by the list. Some people were really happy with the list. Um, and some people thought, you know, players that were up in the thirties, even the twenties, why are they there? They should be in the teens. They should be in the top 10. Um, who's making these lists again. It's another controversial list that we always, I think we just all, we all hate to talk about, but we all have a really good time debating because it really sparks the conversation. So um, 100%. I think ESPN has a way of just saying we're going to make some ridiculous lists and make it so ridiculous. But this at least will spark the conversation every week. Alex, the preseason rankings, when, or I'm sorry, when the weekly rankings come out for power rankings for MLB or for football, me and you are always discussing and we're just always saying to ourselves, like, what in the world is whoever's making this list? What do you see in this person or this team? Sometimes it's just outrageous, but I think they honestly want to make them outrageous because mm -hmm. why would why we would not spark a conversation if it was not outrageous? But um, ESPN made their list. We'll talk about that. But Alex, let's start off with um, kind of the the I wouldn't say the big signing, but you know the big signing on the horizon for the international uh, player Suzuki out of is it Japan. Yeah, Japan. So it looks like he right now is uh, it could be destined to be part of the Boston Red Sox once this lockout ends he should be signing with them which again would be kind of a big move for them they sent Hunter Renfro out they brought in Jackie Bradley Jr we kind of were scratching our heads this is the last key move before the lockout ends what's what are the Red Sox doing now we know so kind of take that us through that uh I guess the projections right now Alex yeah so 
Seiya Suzuki, right-handed outfielder, one of the best hitters of the last five years in the Japanese uh, league. Uh, All signs have been kind of pointing to recently him potentially going to the Red Sox. It's by no means like a done deal, but like some people were acting like it feels like it's almost a done deal. A lot of interviews he was doing in Japanese, the translation can kind of make it uncertain if he feels like he is going there or he wants to go there or kind of what exactly was meant. So there's some different interpretations, but essentially the biggest connection I think right now, uh, a lot of people are saying is him and the Red Sox. So I think he could really do well as a righty, you know, in that, first of all, in that, you know, lineup, you know, you have uh, some big lefties like Devers, if they could keep Schwab or you have all these big lefties, um, it'd be nice to have a, a, a powerful righty bat to kind of complement Martinez and, and Bogarts and stuff. I think having a righty with, you know, pop, it's a good place to put him in Fenway. If he can hit liners to left field, he's going to get lots of doubles off the wall. Overall, a hitter-friendly park um, and a, a team that always kind of shows to be successful. So I think it's a good landing spot overall for him. Um I think that uh, it could be a good fit, uh, especially considering, you know, they obviously had Mookie Betts, who was a all-time right fielder, traded him away. Then they had Renfro last season, who really did a great job out there. Now he's traded away, so it feels like they need someone new to kind of keep uh, that mantle going, and I could see it being a good fit. Travis, any other thoughts on just having, you know, another righty bat in that order? you think it's a good fit or it makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I think when you have a, a park like Fenway with a green monster, righty hitters are going to flourish. Um you know, I mean, so many great right-handed hitter outfielders for the Red Sox have just used that green monster as a wall of playing pepper, you know, just kind of just smacking 40, 50 balls off that monster, hitting it over. Um, so it looks like it'd be a good sign for the Red Sox to get, you know, and we were really wondering with the Red Sox, what would, you know, the offseason look like? We know that that last year they were, I think it was two wins away from, you know, a trip to the World Series, um, a team that looked good throughout the season but i know at certain points alex you and i were really not buying the red Sox at all because it just seemed like they were able to slip easily but then able to get back on track um it was kind of a it it was kind of a confusing i feel like team throughout the year and then of course the way they played in october very very stunning i mean i think we both thought the yankees were going to take the wild card and then they were going to go play uh the rays and i think the rays were you know most likely going to kick the Red Sox, but as when everyone thought, but did not happen. The, the Red Sox did a really good job in that series. And then in the Astros series, they had the Astros on their, I mean, on their heels. They, they had, I think it was a two, one lead in the series and they had a lead going into like the eighth inning of that one game four. And everyone was thinking, Holy crap, you know, Astros gonna be down three, one against the Red Sox. The Red Sox just have the Astros number because the uh, Red Sox were able to beat them in 2018. And now it looks like in 2021, Astros, of course, rallied back and were able to win that series, but um, would have been a very interesting year for the Red Sox. And then, you know, going into the offseason, don't really know what's going to happen there. They lose uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. So, of course, now they lose a piece. We don't know how sales going to be. And then, of course, shipping away their 30 home run hitter, Hunter Renfro, who was one of their bright spots, I think, on their in their lineup and on their team last year. Yep. He's going to Milwaukee. And now it's like, OK, you bring back Bradley Jr., who. I mean, I, I have not really heard much about him in the past Str- two years. Struggled, yeah. And so uh, we don't really know what that's going to be like. So then you're kind of thinking, you know, if if, this, if if you're thinking about rebuilding, then I think that, you know, getting rid of a guy like Bogarts or Devers would be a good person to get rid of. But it doesn't seem like that just yet for the Red Sox. It doesn't seem that they're going to be a huge favorite to contend in the NL East, of course, next year. I think that 
the of course the Red Sox I'm sorry the Yankees and the Blue Jays are going to be the two favorites for the East and then of course the Rays you never can count them out um, and they'll definitely be in it for the NL East and then of course you have the Red Sox I think everyone will easily say they'll be fourth place next year and then of course the Orioles fifth place but um, a good start I guess for the Red Sox to get a guy like this to yeah come over if they if they if once this lockout ends if they can get this done um, a good start for him um, I know most Japanese players even some American players I think Adam Jones was saying that he is just one of like the most gifted you know bats in the Japanese league right now and I yeah. think even Shohei might have had some comments about it too um, you know about his abilities to play so would be a really nice piece for the Red Sox to get um, once this whole bs ends yeah right right right. <laughs> um well one thing i'll add travis is so i guess one of the big reasons why there's this connection with him in boston is because i guess he is good friends uh suzuki is good friends with uh koji uh uihara who, okay yeah who was of course a boston red Sox. actually made an all-star team in boston also got sayang votes in boston won a ring with boston in 2013 and yeah record uh, the last out that's right I was just looking at his numbers right now, and in 2013, the World Series run for Boston, he was ALCS MVP with uh, five games appeared in the series, uh, three saves, six innings, allowed no runs at all with nine strikeouts in those six innings. Goes on to the World Series, four uh, and two-thirds innings pitched, no runs again. So he was really great for them, obviously, in those big moments, and... Uh, he obviously loves Boston and loves the team because yep. he's recommending Say Suzuki to go there, trying to push him that way. And it kind of goes to show that you get more value than you th- might think if you really um, pursue these international players and you know do a good job of you know incorporating them into the team. Uh, it can it can be fruit of, uh, fruitful uh, down the way when you know they're recommending their uh, other you know national uh, friends that you know come to your uh, your franchise. So that could work out well for Boston for sure. Um, if it ends up going through, but you know, there's still so many signings to be made once we're on the other side of this whole lockout that, you know, tons of teams can make a splash, but I do like what you said about the AL East. It's going to be very competitive. So Boston will have to make some big moves. I think to keep up with, you know, the, the youth in Toronto and just the smarts of the Rays, where they just seem like they always have next man up. That's going to be really good. So, yeah. Um, that probably covers the whole Suzuki thing, uh, Travis. We can get into the lockout stuff now. Also say one thing, uh, staying with the international players, uh, this week, of course, Shohei Otani being named cover athlete of MLB The Show 2022. That's right. Um, pretty cool for Angel fans and then pretty cool, of course, for um, I think the first one. I think he might be the first Japanese uh player to have to be a single individual cover, cover athlete, athlete mm-hmm. on the on the uh on the cover of the baseball game and i i mean just by the pictures the game looks i think it will probably have record sales this year um very well could well the owners have to figure it out and the players have to figure out first before they can have record sales but right now the cover um it looks pretty sweet i think honestly non-baseball fans will be honestly probably getting this game just because it's such a cool uh person and Shohei and also the 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 cover is so sweet just much like last year's with Fernando Tatis but yeah I'll just say it's like if they went with anyone but Shohei it would have (laughs) it would have just been such a missed opportunity to make so much more money and you know their their job is to sell games right they want to sell copies of the game so how could you put someone that's not Shohei Otani who was like the biggest phenomenon of the whole year he was talked about you know until people people talked uh you know 
at length about this guy all year and then you're going to not put him on the cover. So it was an obvious choice and it worked out well. Um, I'm excited to play the game once it does come out. But switching back to uh, real baseball, Travis, <laughs> um, the lockout is still going, of course. Uh, for those that don't know, the owners and the players union have to kind of come to some sort of agreement on the next uh, collective bargaining agreement. Um, a, a lot of the things that are kind of being contested are like salary related and like service time related. Um, so I'm going to break down a few things here. Just a couple weeks ago, uh, Jeff Passan, who's like, Jeff Passan might be like the kind of number one guy when it comes to like reporting the league, I feel like. Really respected voice. He doesn't really get things wrong. Outside Bob Nightingale. Someone who, you know, gets a few more things wrong, of course, uh, <laughs> Mr. Nightingale. But uh, yeah, Jeff Passan, uh, he essentially was reporting on like the progress up to like about two weeks ago, where I guess the MLB and the MLB Players Association uh, I think that they're in agreement on some sort of pre-arbitration bonus pool. So before a young player gets to the point where they can uh, arbitrate, which means they can kind of negotiate their future salary with the team before they make their first real like big contract when they're their first time being free agent, they can arbitrate like for a few years. So right now, Shohei Otani hasn't hit his first big free agency yet, but he's been able to arbitrate. So the Angels are paying him more than they pay like a rookie, right? Because he yeah. has been able to like... Um, negotiate his salary so they're discussing a pre-arbitration bonus pool so before you're able to arbitrate they're saying that if you're like a top 30 in war then they will actually have a pool of money set aside to give bonuses to those players so travis that's kind of interesting because there seems like there's a real chance they could use war to help pay certain amounts of money What's your thought on that? Just as, as in general, like, I guess there's a, a big disagreement right now of how much will be in that pool. The Players Association said we should have a $105 million pool and that money goes to like the top 30 war players if they're like this like younger player that's making like, you know, dirt money yeah. like for a baseball player standards. Like, yeah, interesting they choose war. Um, I, I definitely like the whole, um, you know, hey, you're perform you perform very well. We're going to give you a bonus. A We're going to give you some yeah. So I think that's honestly a very good take. I think some other leagues are doing that as well. Um, I know, I think, I think the NFL, I think QBs get bonuses. I think certain players get bonuses for doing exceptionally well, which honestly is pretty, is is really nice to see because. I, I know o Odell Beckham uh, Jr. On, on the Rams, he came mid-season. I think it was like a million dollar contract or something like that, yeah. or maybe yeah. less, but he gets like, he got like a million dollar bonus for like winning the NFC championship. Yeah. And then he will get another bonus at the Super Bowl. So it's like if you're on a kind of a smaller deal, like a, like less than a million dollars, it'd be kind of cool to see them. You get like a couple million bonus. Definitely. If you're overperforming, like, you know. It, and you should. Yeah. 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 I think a guy like Shohei should be, I mean, I, I think the talks for him to have be extended with the Angels already, need, I mean, should probably be in the, in the works already. I don't know if they are or not, but um, yeah, I, I think a war is definitely the best stat that we have that I think will measure everything that a player brings to the table when it talk when it, you know when you look at defense when you look at hitting and when you look at base running um i think all that is very well equated in the into the war stat or the war equation so um looking at that would be very nice to have players have the opportunity to get paid more based on the seasons that they've had a guy like shohei i mean the season that he had i mean there's, there's all the bonuses i, I, you I, could I mean i, I mean the season that shohei had should be worth i mean north of like 
what what Max Scherzer is getting paid right now. I mean, I mean that that is a that, that is a that is a forty million dollar season right there that Shohei had, and he's probably getting paid. I mean, what six million something like that? Yeah, where, I think I mean, it's an absolute steal for what the Angels got this season. But yeah, it's it's yeah. in that ballpark. So yeah, it, it definitely makes. And now our Pujols is should be getting paid, you know, three million dollars. So right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we can't take money from the players. <laughs> that are in I know, contract, I know. But, exactly. But I, I completely get your point. Um, so on on this whole on this like pool of bonus pool money. The MLBPA was seeking uh, up to a hundred and five million dollar pool, um, while the league was offering a ten million dollar pool. Which is like, if the pool is ten million dollars, it's you know, I say majority of players aren't going to see you know more than a million dollars. But anyways, um, that still lots of negotiating to go and stuff like that. Um, also, a big point of contention that they're de- kind of debating is uh, what are they going to do about the minimum salary of MLB players? So. I think one kind of common thought is that the MLB players make tons of money. You know, Albert Pools is making $30 million every year for a decade. Mike Trout right now is a guaranteed over $400 million contract. But the reality of it is like the median contract, like if you kind of boil it down to the middle, was like, I think it was like 300000 last year, which wow. is like a small number that many people will probably think because there's so many young, there's so many players who are like your bench players yeah. kind of going between AAA and the majors and they're just kind of, uh, at this level where their, their, their contract is, you know, going to be a few hundred, a uh, few hundred thousand. So yeah. um, the MLB players uh, were requesting at one point seven hundred and seventy five thousand to be the minimum salary. The league was counter offering with like a six fifteen thousand. So yeah. either way, it's going to go up. Yeah. The minimum salary for like the low level player that is making like their bare minimum that will rise, which I think is overall a good thing because uh, most of the players have just been saying that, you know, we don't want to like people like Max Scherzer, people like, you know, I think Alex Boot was tweeting about this. Like it, it's guys who are making good money with good contracts. They're saying we're not arguing to make more money ourselves. We want our teammates who we know are like, you know, having to rent out their these these apartments and they're kind of Very traveling true. a lot. Yeah. We want them to have a little higher of a minimum salary. So um that there's still deliberation to go on that. There's no agreement on like the minimum salary yet, but that's a big point of debate that will be, you know, happening going forward. I guess another thing is that um, there was lots of talk about trying to restructure the way arbitration works. So I guess this change in arbitration structure was uh, withdrawn by the MLB. So the owners, I guess, are deciding not to kind of pursue that path. Um, And then on the other side of things, the flip side, the Players Association um, were trying to argue for an age-based free agency, Travis. So instead of the current system where free agency comes about based on service time, um, how long you play on a big league team will affect when you become a free agent, right? Or when you become arbitration eligible. It's all about when they call you up, the timer starts essentially for like when you start making bigger bucks. Um, So what teams would do is you can almost hold a really good free agent down for longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, you can kind of wait till longer till you have to pay them more or until they become a free agent. So you kind of get more control on the player. So from, from a business perspective, obviously it makes sense to do that. But I guess one example that happened uh, in somewhat recent years was Chris Bryant when he was a rookie. I think the team was not like on like a big run for the world series. So it, they were, I don't even think they were playoff bound at the time. So like it made sense for them to kind of um, essentially 
Might as well call up the young guy who's our number one prospect, get him some reps at the MLB level. But they waited until a certain like date down the road where they could call him up and get an extra year. So you almost are kind of keeping this guy in AAA for longer than he probably needs to just for business reasons. And the fans don't get to see that player. Um, that player gets less reps at the big league level that season. So for a lot of reasons, it makes sense to kind of get rid of this service time manipulation. So I guess one thing the players are talking about is doing an aged-based free agency where instead of a, f a few, uh, instead of a certain number of years with the team, you get the free agency, it'll just be a certain age. So it doesn't matter when you call them up because when they hit, you know, 27 or 26, whatever the age they decided was, when you hit that age, you become a free agent that offseason. So that would completely get rid of the, this whole idea of the owners or, or general managers or whoever keeping players down in the minors longer than they should because um, they're going to be a free agent at 27 anyway, so might as well call them up. But the players did withdraw this proposal. They're not going to go with that proposal. They're going to try to seek a different way to prevent service time manipulation because one of the big things the players have been talking about um, of what I've heard is that they want to get rid of the service time manipulation um max scherzer actually had a tweet just a couple days ago after the most recent meetings when uh mediation was denied i'll get to that in a minute but max scherzer was tweeting about uh that they want a system where uh they want they want to fix the cap situation um they want to allow young players to get more of their market value which you know a guy like wander franco before he signed his extension he's bringing in lots of money in drawing fans and selling jerseys they want to see young players kind of get more of what they're actually worth in terms of their salary um and their free agency and stuff and then he also says he wants to make service time manipulation a thing of the past which i think makes a lot of sense because uh why do we need to keep players in the minors uh just so we can keep them on our team longer i guess yeah it's like you want to keep your your number one prospect around for longer but it really should be about when they're ready you bring them up i think that's one big reason why tatis has been very um he's been very uh uh it's been a good relationship between him and the padres because i believe the padres called him up knowing like this kid is ready and we're not going to really worry about kind of keeping him down longer like we're going to call this kid up and we're going to try to be good now. And it worked out great. And they extended them. So like you have that yeah. good relationship and um, things can go great for you. So anyways, um, kind of a long ramble there, but there, <laughs> there, there's a lot of, I guess, work to still be done on the, some of these discussions. But um, I think overall what the players are kind of advocating for is a lot of common sense stuff. Um, one thing, Travis, that I think we both have some thoughts on probably is that players are trying to get rid of tanking. Um, one way they could do that, right, is to make it so the last place team doesn't get the first overall pick necessarily. Some people say maybe the way to do it is everyone who doesn't make the playoffs gets put into a lottery with even odds. And this would yeah. th that would prevent like the 10th, because say, say you're like fourth in your division, right? is like essentially it'll force you to keep trying in in july and on august and you know what and, and so on september because if you don't try and you try to tank it doesn't help your odds of getting a higher pick so overall i think i like that strategy because i hate when teams just kind of start throwing out these really bogus rosters or like lineup cards in like uh you know august and september so what are your thoughts on that like how do you think you see tanking and how should like they try to handle that going forwards yeah and i know um from yeah tanking in in football and tanking in basketball 
is, I mean, definitely one of the smartest strategies because I remember I talked to you one time and you said, you know, in basketball, one, one, one first overall draft pick could literally change your franchise for 10 years. You know, yep. you could literally get the, like the LeBron James of the draft and basically just have a elite player. But yeah, in baseball, it's definitely the first overall pick. You know, you look at the last 10 years, I think about six or seven out of the 10 years, there's, there's probably been, you know, players that are impacting right now, but there's definitely been some players that become nothing and, you know, you never even hear about them, but, um, yeah, it would be interesting to see guys like that that are, you know, or teams that are not trying that hard to be kind of put at maybe a more of an equal ground than the team that finished, you know, let's just say, you know, if if we have 14, seven teams from each league going, so there's 14 going and 16 going, you know, the, the, the last place team who's going to be fared against, you know, the 15th place team, um, it would be interesting to to definitely see kind of a, a an equal ground right there. Maybe they even take it into tiers. Maybe they say, okay, the, the, the top five worst teams are at equal playing grounds. Uh-huh. Um, then, of course, you might see a team want to tank more into that top five right. for the worst teams. So it's, it's definitely – yeah, it, it, I feel like the one thing about baseball that's been somewhat nice is that even though if you tank, you still can get the first overall pick, and that's that pick could literally become nothing. It, it, I think it really just depends on your development and your minor league systems about how good you are. The Rays, the Dodgers, they are elite when they come to guys. They literally can get you know third round picks all day and turn them into superstars. So mm-hmm. I I definitely like how baseball you can't really cheat out the system that way. It definitely it, it definitely still boils down to the success of your uh, you know younger development, you know, your coaching, all that kind of stuff, but it is interesting to kind of get that way because there are teams that I feel like you're right, just roll out these lineups that are just, you know, you know, it's almost like what what are you doing showing up at the ballpark rolling out this lineup for? I mean, yeah. I know you want to get some guys more reps and all that kind of stuff, but um yeah, it would make for a little bit more of an interesting uh, situation. And, of course, expanding, like I think we talked about expanding playoffs a little bit more. That way, more teams, you know, if you have seven teams getting into the playoffs from each league, then you have teams that finish 8th, ninth, and 10th, um, you know. They can I, try to push in instead exactly. of push to tank. And right. basically, my, my point is, you know, you have 15 teams in each league and you have seven spots. That means that those last three teams that do not get in are going to be, you know, they're going to be trying their hardest in in the last two weeks to try to, you know, get that seventh spot. That means you get more competition. Then you have maybe the last four teams who are just, you know, the last place teams in every division are just kind of saying, you know, we've been out since, you know, July or August. We're not even going to try. But at least it would give more of those teams to be, um, major contenders or major pushers in the end to truly make a push and have some exciting games in, in September. So um, I think expanding that kind of way would be awesome because then we, of course, we get to see more of these teams um, that definitely deserve. So, I mean, I, I always say this, man. I mean, I think last year's, I think last year's blue Jays would have been one of the scariest teams in the playoffs. I yeah. think they would have been like this year's NFL 49ers, you know, 49ers in the last game of the season. I know we're switching over to football, but I mean, they almost got out. They, they would have lost that game. The New Orleans Saints would have been in the playoffs, and, yep. the, and the 49ers would have been out. Niners were literally 10 minutes away from the Super Bowl this past year. And so it, it's kind of crazy where it's almost like the big what-if question marks. The, the Blue Jays were on such a hot streak, as were tons of teams every single year, where they get on these hot streaks, and it's kind of just like, man, what could have been if they would have made the playoffs? So um, expanding a playoff that way, and then, of course, maybe making the e- equal ground for some of these tank teams um, – it would definitely, I think, bring up the competition more, and I think fans would get more excitement out of it. So, yeah, I totally agree with your point. Um, at the end of the day, fans want to see more competitive games, more high leverage games. Expanding the playoffs does a very similar effect. 
um, where you're going to get more exciting games in September. At the same time with this kind of uh, restructuring of the draft, potentially, if they end up going that direction. Um, if you get rid of tanking in that way, um, a team like that is already eliminated from the playoffs can still... They want to compete in September to play spoiler because they're no longer worried about, oh, well, if I lose five of my ne next seven games, I could get the third overall pick. So I'm going to do that. It's like, no, how about like you forget about what pick you're going to get and you just try to win every single series you can. Yeah. It's better for the fans and it's better for the league, I think. I, I, the players are out there trying to win, of course, but like yeah. from a management of the team perspective, it's it's better to, uh, of course, um, have as competitive uh, games as possible. One other thing, Travis. I think we all get tired of like, like for instance, like the Baltimore Orioles. Season's over mid-May. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even like even looking last year, man. I think the uh, the Diamondbacks were on like a away away losing streak of it, it was it was insane. I mean, it, 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 yeah, it was, was unbelievable, and it's kind of just like, I mean, good God, I, mean, I feel so bad for management. I feel so bad for the players. I feel bad for the fans. You know, the fans yeah. are kind of just like, man, we are not even getting anything out of, out of this right now, and it's like, you know, so. Yeah, and if you if you kind of took away the incentive of you know losing as like oh yeah if we just keep losing for a few years in a row it'll end up being a rebuild. Uh, at the end of the day, instead it'll kind of reward like you said uh, the player development is more the focus of a rebuild versus just like tanking for really good picks. But anyways, another thing that is also being highly discussed is um, the cap. So like, how much are you allowed to spend on free agents and stuff? Um, there's the cap ceiling, like how much, you know, how, like what's the salary ceiling of like how much you can spend on players in a given year. Also a floor. That's not a thing in the league right now, but I think a lot of players and a lot of fans want there to be a salary floor. What's the, like you have to pay this X amount of money in the season on players or else you get penalized in some way. Right. And that's um, good. Yeah. It's good because Travis, teams like the Indians and teams like, you know, there's a handful <laughs> you, of teams. You, you don't, you don't hear pirates making a lot of noise the last five years in free agency. You and, know? and you look at their annual, your annual, uh, how much they're paying their whole roster yeah. is like how much angels are paying Mike Trout right yeah. now. Like yeah. it's crazy. It's like you literally are your average players making like hundreds of thousands. Whereas like many teams have multiple guys. And, 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 and the thing is, it's not about some owners will try to like, you know, cry like poverty or like, you know, we don't have the money to afford like the big names. Maybe there are some owners who can't afford like the biggest names on the market. But at the end of the day, the values of teams are going up every single year. Yeah. Um, that's not always cash in pocket, obviously. So paying players could still be a difficulty, but, um, I know there's been some owners who've like, I, I specifically the Rockies, uh, his name's, uh, Monfort. I think he was just speaking of like the financial hardships of COVID, which, you know, of course that's, I think that's a thing in every industry where COVID really hit the ability to make money and stuff. But yeah. I mean, the Rockies are, are going to be a valuable team. If he sold them right now, he'd make money hand over fist so easily, th easily there's no way you could say oh yeah we, we we couldn't extend the story or we couldn't extend Arenado. it's like you definitely could have but anyways and and you did extend Arenado. i mean you gave Arenado 200 something million dollars and then you just and, gave away and yeah. you, you pretty much you pretty much extended them with the plans of this guy even though he's a franchise legend almost already halfway through his career we don't have, intend to make him a franchise guy we're yeah. gonna give him away because uh, we can't we don't want to continue paying this contract essentially we'll give it to the, yeah. we'll let the cardinals deal with it yeah but anyways um yeah to me it's pretty clear that the owners at least um i think a salary floor makes a lot of sense because some of these teams it will just enforce a more competitive balance in some of these divisions if the indians were you know being a little bit more competitive that 
AL Central could be a lot much more of a heated race. But yeah. right now it feels like it's the White Sox and then a gap. And that's because some teams might not be, you know, as competitive. But that's just how it goes. The last thing I want to touch on before we move on to that ESPN list, Travis, is there is uh, a development in the last week where the, so the, the owners make an offer, the players make an offer, and then the owners say we're going to respond in like a couple of days to your offer with a counter offer. And then the owners came out and said, after a couple of days, we are not going to give you a counter offer. And then they said, we're going to seek a mediator from the federal government um, with the idea that uh, they think that the players and the owners are very far apart from the owner's perspective and they're frustrated with the lack of progress. So we're going to get a mediator, bring him into the room. Uh, he will make some of the decisions to bring us closer together in where they kind of can try to find a middle ground on, on, on where the two sides are at. Um, the players then denied this request to bring in a mediator. Um, and one uh, tweet that I saw from a player that kind of did a good job of, of explaining the player's perspective on this is a tweet from Alex Wood, pitcher for the Giants. Um, he tweeted, it would probably take two weeks just for an impartial mediator to get caught up enough to proceed. They then use an already broken CBA as guidelines towards a new deal. Makes zero sense for anybody. Players are ready to make a fair, mutually beneficial deal. Hashtag at the table. So from the player's perspective, they view this mediator thing as a waste of time. It'll take two weeks to get them caught up to where we're at with the negotiations. Because this mediator is not an expert on the CBA. Yeah. So you have to explain them what were the rules last year with the CBA. What are we trying to do for the coming seasons? And, and probably hundreds and hundreds of pages of legal documents. And I mean, it, it, I mean, right. I, I could not imagine being that mediator. I would just probably pull my brains out the, with right. <laughs> and, without and, that word. And the, the players know spring training is around the corner. Two weeks, yeah. And so yeah. With, with, that in, that. with that in mind, knowing, knowing that we're already going to be late to that, like there's no way we get there on time, our mediator is only going to slow that process down by a lot. So the players are saying we are ready to make a fair deal. We feel like we're not arguing for anything that's, Crazy talk. Just try to meet us somewhere, and we can proceed and play. Um, so the uh, the players are against this mediation. They have already denied the request to bring in a mediator to the to the bargaining. Um, it's also interesting that Alex Wood says that like I guess if you bring in a mediator, then they will try to make this new deal very similar to the last deal. Which I guess what's the point of doing this if that's going to be the yeah. case? But um, yeah, I think. I think that the last thing I'll add as well is I read a tweet, Travis, that the owners essentially, since the owners, they locked up the players. This is not a strike, which is what happened in the 90s. That was a player's strike. This is an owner's locking out the players, which all that means is the owners are saying, you know, the agreement between us is dead right now. And uh, essentially the owners, whenever they wanted to, they could in theory just say, we're going to con lockout is over. We can continue with spring training and the season on time, but we will still be negotiating the next CBA in the meantime. And so that means in the meantime, they'll be using the old collective bargaining agreement to kind of uh, proceed for that time being. So it's which, very. It's which what do you do if you're Freddie Freeman and Carlos Correa? I mean, you, I, I, I guess you just have to go back to the old ways of of. Your free agency, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, I would assume that they'd be able to sign and meet with teams and all that because the lockout would be over. Yeah. But it just, you don't One know. One-year deals. <laughs> you, you, but you don't know what the new rules will be in yeah. terms of salary floor, salary ceilings, 
uh, the arbitration stuff. So obviously it'd make things complicated, but the point stands that the owners do have the power right now if they wanted to, to say, we can still start spring training on time. We can continue the negotiations with the free agents right now. Um, but of course, uh, they want to use that kind of leverage that they have right now where there can't be any meetings and there can't be any 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 baseball MLB players in the MLB facilities right now. Um, they want to kind of keep that leverage going so they can try to get a deal done that's going to benefit them. Yeah. Obviously, both sides want to try to you know pull the other more towards them. So we'll see how things develop in the next couple of weeks, Travis. But there's a good chance by our next podcast, if there's not progress, then the regular season opening day will be doomed. Um, it'll have to happen something in the next week or so, I would think, in order to have any hope of you know us still reaching that goal. Hopefully, they keep meeting up this week. I know last week there was uh, several multiple meetings, yeah. so hopefully they can kind of continue on that trend. But um, next time there's an update, we'll kind of bring you guys up to date. But right now, it seems like a lot of stalemates um, on some of these debates, and then they can't even agree to bring in a third party. So yeah, and, and I guess people were the the players were upset because you know the lockout started beginning of December and they were saying, you know, we waited like 30 something days, I think it was for like you, 45 days, something like that to, to you guys to bring an offer. And, you know, and I know, then, I know the holidays happen, but we didn't start talking to like maybe mid January. So it's kind of like, you absolutely know, right. we, we we're waiting for the offer and we could, we could have squashed this bug even before Christmas, but you know, things just took over and, and we couldn't get, you know, any sort of, you know, deal done. And so now it, it definitely sucks that we are. Yeah. I think we're less than two weeks away from, pitchers and catchers reporting and you know free agents are probably thinking man you know boy am i glad i signed or boy you know when when pitchers and catchers report i better dial in you know my top target teams and get meetings done that week so that you know within a week after the after the lockout ends i am on a new team i don't i'm you know i signed a new agreement all that kind of stuff so uh i guess some players will have to be rushed or have to you know really look at what they want to do this next season you might i mean i don't even know if you'd see a guy like freeman or korea taking one-year deals i mean probably not no but um it would definitely be uh you know they'll have to, they'll have to think some stuff over yeah, I think. It'll, yeah. Be, it'll be tricky for sure i, I love that you mentioned yeah. the the 45 day thing because um the players are angry because the owners want a mediator because they're upset with the progress that's being made or the lack of progress essentially and the players are saying we've been ready to, to make a deal yeah. for and you didn't talk to us for 45 days and then when we made you an offer you said we will give you a counter offer and then they never did yeah. and then they requested the mediator so it's like from the player's perspective i completely understand the frustration because the owners are it seems like um I don't know. I, it seems like the players are, are trying to do some good faith negotiation and the owners are just trying to kind of stall things out and use their leverage to try to get things to happen their way. So we'll see how things develop. Uh, hopefully some more updates for you guys on the next episode we have here. But Travis, it's probably a good time now to move on to the ESPN list. They had their top 100 like you mentioned. These are the top 100 of all time, folks, not like active players. This is top 100 ever according to the ESPN writers and analysts. Travis tons of debates on twitter all day when this came out when this came out because some people are unhappy with the way that they kind of treated certain positions some players they really overrated some players they really underrated they did not give you know they, they treated steroid players in an interesting way we'll, we'll get to that uh, when we get to the list but um yeah i think that there's a lot of interesting kind of 
head scratchers that the fans were noticing when they're going over these lists. So I'm excited to dive into how do you want to do this? Yeah, well, first I'll say that there are seven active players on this top 100. Oh, nice. So, um, of course, Mike Trout leading the way um, 15th overall of on, all the time. On, on the all-time. Yeah, yeah. um, we'll dive into that a little bit, but I mean, what a just an insane place to be at and you have not really even played 10 full years in your career yet and you are already considered a top 15 of all time um next coming up is our pool holes 30 uh ranked 30 of all time uh for the top 100 i mean he seems he, low but we'll get there I think. we'll get there too and, and, and he's an active player but again i feel like he's really not an active player because I'm. His, we'll, I see, mean, we'll see he's someone else who has yeah, to make a deal yeah. after the, uh, the cbas and then signing. and then uh then you got clayton kershaw third on the um i guess active players 52nd miguel cabrera 59th max scherzer 65th justin verlander 70 or uh 72nd and then all the way at the 94 spot you have bryce harper wow. bryce harper is going to be um someone that right now has already edged out a guy like mookie betts he's already edged out some great active players so far which i mean i i'm a little surprised bryce harper making the top 100 right now that is i think the mvp this past season really helped really helped his status in becoming an all-time great um i feel like i feel like betts is like more of a lock for the hall of fame yeah more yeah. of a consistent every year Very true. like high war guy i think the war numbers for bets are going to be right behind trouts like as they continue to, to kind of develop very um, true very true that's a good copy bring up because harper making it and not bets is definitely like a bit of a you know kind of wow but harper's two mvps i'm sure is what gets the writers excited about putting him on that list so. i think they definitely do and i think he's played let's see i think it's been about you know he's he has played, I think, 10 years, just about maybe 10 years in the league. I think he came in in 2012. So sounds right, um, yeah. it has been 10 years where Mookie came in in 2013, but really wasn't relevant until I think two, 2015 or 16. I think 15, he actually got some MVP votes that year. But um, I think they definitely see uh, Harper being a guy who's already been in same same amount of time pretty much as Trout. Both of them kind of coming up there being huge comparisons. But um, crazy how Mike Trout's career took off. From Bryce, Bryce Harper, still both in the top 100 right here, but Bryce, Har I mean Mike Trout, already number 15. Yeah, um, not much of a comparison these so days. So we'll, I guess we'll start with the first kind of, I guess the first big debate that we saw was our Pujols 30th and Derek Jeter 28th. Um, that really, I think, pissed off a lot of people seeing that you know the 10 great years of our Pujols Cardinals our Pujols is ranked as you know with with the best with the greatest of all time when you look at a 10-year span um and he was beaten by Derek Jeter um someone who of course Derek Jeter one of the most clutchest players in baseball history one of the greatest October performers of all time but when you look at the overall stat line I think we both can say Albert Pujols is a much better all-around hitter of course and probably all-around better player than Derek Jeter um, so we'll dive right there first in that in that kind of big debate that we heard. Our Pujols being viewed uh, lesser than at Derek Jeter. What do you think about that? Yeah, so I think that Jeter is obviously he's obviously beloved. He's obviously a fan favorite. He's obviously very well respected. Um, that is also reflected in Travis the way he was only missed. He missed the unanimous first ballot Hall of Fame selection by one vote. Every single voter but one said, you are a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, so that reflects how much respect the people, the writers, the analysts have for him. Um, but from my view, 
uh, I would say he is overrated in that way because he should not be in the 20s in my perspective. Um, I don't think he's like a he's not a, he's not the best shortstop ever. I don't think he's like even especially if you're counting A Rod as a shortstop. Uh, and they had them very close. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think Jeter's even like top. Like he might be top five. I think that's like that's like that's yeah. like that's like yeah. a maybe in yeah. my in my mind yeah. personally. I, I, I know we've talked about it. We talked about him and Barry Larkin being a huge comparison. Barry Larkin number one hundred and Derek Jeter number twenty eight. So of course that's a huge distance between those two. You talk about I know Cal Ripken Jr. being just a complete better player than Derek Jeter, but of course Derek Jeter shining in those clutch moments, shining in October. That of course I think elevated a lot of writers. Um, thinking on on how you know how to rank Derek Jeter, but then of course talk about A Rod. A Rod, of course, was the best shortstop at the time um, in those late '90s, early 2000s before before he became a Yankee and moved to third base. And then of course, uh, Honus Wagner of uh, Pittsburgh. You know, we talked about him a lot during our t- all MLB teams, and, and he is ranked down to the 12th spot, which of course is fair. Best I, I, in my mind, best shortstop of all time. Probably your mind too. Best shortstop of all time. Um, if a-Rod did not, of course, switch over to third base. A-Rod would most likely be the best shortstop of all time. I mean, if you hit close to 700 home runs as a shortstop, that kind of warrants you to be sure. um, a kind of a freak of nature. So, um, but yeah, it, it definitely is a, I think it's just a bias of writers saying, oh, Derek Jeter, Mr. You know, Mr. Mr. November, yeah. you know, uh, clutch playoff performer, you know. He, but it's like uh, what I'll add is like the big knock, the big sorry, the big plus you give to Jeter is always he has five rings, he was a winner. Pools has a World Series MVP, he has rings, he has you two know, rings, yeah. Um, MVPs galore. If there's no guy named Barry Bonds, our Pools probably has five to six MVPs right now. He's looked at as Jeter one was of the zero. greatest. Jeter was zero, of exactly, course. exactly. And, and, but but then, but then again, of course, zero because he is a completely different kind of player. Which which is why this list is very hard to kind of compare because you're taking a shortstop to a first baseman who you know the last 10 years you put you put pools at short that's going to be just the funkiest looking guy at short but, shortstop uh, so i think the lack of mvp uh from jeter to me what it tells me i don't think his peaks were high enough because even in his own era a guy like jimmy rollins won the mvp yeah that's Did true. A different league but still a shortstop who didn't put up that crazy of numbers but was on a good team which jeter was always on a good team and, and i think jeter won got the MVP. some top top maybe top two top three finishes a yeah, couple years I, ha- I have it right here i think his best ever finish was he was third he was third in 98 okay and he was second in 06 okay. and third in 09 so he definitely got okay. close but um from a war perspective travis jeter's best ever uh baseball reference war in a season was eight war in 99 so if you look at albert now in eight war albert got above that in one two three four five six seven straight wow. years of cardinals wow. prime wow. so in seven straight years albert was better than jeter's best season yeah. yeah seven straight years so that just shows how good albert's peak was as a cardinal and also war will love a shortstop much more than a first baseman. The, yeah, the defense yeah. will give so much advantage to Jeter there um, on the war because the war is going to really factor in position. So it goes to show that even though he's playing first base, the bat was so much better on Albert that it made all the difference. Um, and I think one point too, um, kind of moving away a little bit from the Derek Jeter conversation, but still staying with Pujols, um, guys like Pujols and A-Rod, how great they were. I know, of course, see, and I, I talked to you about this, Alex. I, I, when I, if I wanted to make this list, I think I would just get steroids out of my head. I would say, you know what? 
this is going to get too weird, too complicated if you do not include if you if you encounter steroids, because, you know, in the Hall of Fame, that's a different discussion because you're looking at different things, character, you know, integrity, all that kind of stuff. But in this list, I'm looking at the top 100, the top. And like I said before, after 25, after 50, that list becomes kind of impossible to make when you kind of rank players. I mean, how do you put the starting pitcher over the third baseman? You know, it, it gets difficult. But um, like I said, with this list getting steroids out of the way, I definitely was thinking to myself, how do you have A-Rod and Pujols out of the top 25? Did, did you yeah. feel any way about, you know, that? Did you, did you think the same that way? I did, and I was looking at the top 25 and trying to figure out who I would put in instead. I mean, Ricky Henderson is top 25. He's a great player, but I don't think he's better than A-Rod or Pujols in my opinion. Yeah, and, and, and see, that's really comparing apples and oranges, Henderson to Pujols, of course. Exactly. Even yeah. more so than comparing Junior to Pujols. Um, yeah, it, it's tough. I think Henderson, because you, you can argue he's the best left hitter ever. That's true. Played in lots of World Series, has an MVP, which, of course, you know, Jeter and A-Rod do as well. I do think that A-Rod, Travis, I think it is really criminal. I think in my mind I'd have him, like, top 15. Like, I yeah. think it's— No, no, it's, I agree. It's, to have that number of—like, who else is that high in the home run list but got left so low kind of thing is, is, is my take. And it was playing a premier defensive position, was five-tool. Of course, the steroids— I think the only reason he's he's in the twenty he's ranked twenty six on the list is because the writers said he did steroids and they hate him and, and they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna demote him a few spots there yeah yeah um I think the position looking at the position stuff uh I think is a big part of the argument um I'm gonna touch base really quick on Larkin again because I think Larkin being at a hundred with Jeter at twenty at twenty what twenty eight. It's yeah. so weird. They have both right around 70 war. Larkin's at 70.5 and Jeter is at 71.3. So the war is pretty much interchangeable. Uh, both have a World Series, of course, Jeter with more. But Larkin, a little more power, right? Larkin, yeah. Larkin, his career slug is a 444 and what's Jeter's at? 440. So it's actually very comparable. Very okay. But the peak years, I think, more power for Larkin. Um the on base is almost identical. 371 on base for Larkin with a 377 on base for Jeter. Um, Larkin is going to be better when it comes to stolen bases, but b barely, by only about 20 steals. They're both up in the 300s. So really super comparable five tool shortstops. Um, 116 OPS plus on the career for Larkin. And for Jeter, it's 115. So a better OPS plus by one point very similar war both made to world series um jeter was more of a winner quote unquote but actually an mvp for larkin which is something that jeter does not have um i don't get how you put jeter at 26 and larkin at 100 it really is almost criminal to larkin yeah i think that they're both somewhere in the realm of like fifth to eighth best shortstops ever i think they're both in the same kind of range and you could argue jeter's higher he's not 75 points of all-time players higher yeah, yeah. it's crazy it's crazy um and then back to the back to the back to trying to figure out who in the top 25 is i guess worth taking off it's hard like because it's hard because there's multiple pitchers also in the in the 20s and like the in the teens and it's like you know is a rod better than christy matthewson how am I supposed to know that? Like one was a pitcher in the Denver yeah, era yeah. and one guy is a <laughs> steroids monster shortstop. So it is very tough. I'm not going to be super nitpicky on the arrow thing, I guess, because I know the reason they kept him down because steroids. If, if, if there was, if he was a hundred percent clean player, they would have had him like 10th or 15th or something at, at, the, at the absolute worst. So, um, I, I would also say, you know, even with, you know, giving Mike Trout top 15, I, I think that's definitely a, I mean, 
I think when his career is done and over, he will he will be inside the top 10 100 percent i mean he's that kind of guy but maybe what looking at this list they say you know what mike trout you haven't played you know you've played about 10 full seasons um we're going to keep you kind of outside the top 25 and we're going to move in some of these other guys like a rod like our pools because they have finished their careers and we know what their end line stats going to be trout um we don't know your end line stats going to be of course it will definitely be rising over the years but maybe that's way you can kind of think about it um Trout would be a, a person I could see being moved out, but I think that's just because of you want to be like, let's respect these guys who have their careers finished with. Again, th- then I I, I mean, it, it, it kind of doesn't really make sense to as well because it's like right. what, what Trout's done the first 10 years of his career has been some of the greatest baseball yeah. we've ever seen of all time. But uh, also looking at DiMaggio, you know, even Joe DiMaggio, I think there are some guys that might have even better careers than DiMaggio, even though some rank? people, uh, he is 16th. So he's right above Seems, Trout. Yeah. Um, and I think we'd all say, you know, when we look at hitting, I think Pujols and A-Rod could be better prime hitters than DiMaggio, even sure. though, of course, he has the record for straight hits. But um, there's a lot of, even Schmidt, Schmidt being 18th. Um, Frank Robinson being 19th. I know you, of course, um, have talked a lot about Frank Robinson. He is 19th on the list for being um, top of all time. He, great career, but of course, you could possibly see a guy like even A-Rod or Pujols being a little bit in front of him because um, the total stat lines and the prime percentage of stats um, fare very well for Pujols and for A-Rod. But, yeah, you know. yeah, it's, 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 yeah, some of that stuff gets really tricky um, comparing those positions, but I do like what you said about guys like Schmidt, guys like um you know dimaggio it's like it almost feels like i look at where these players are ranked and and in my head i'm not thinking oh this is where they rank in my head i just think about oh like the writers it makes sense like the writers they would love dimaggio 15th because dimaggio was the yankee who has like the second most rings besides barra who's who's his teammate um he was like this big winner um but if you look at his peak seasons it's not you know He's not. Hey, he stole, up, he stole MVPs away from Ted Williams. So yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> but it, you know, he's not putting up in my mind the same as Trout numbers in terms of the WAR and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I think that Trout is probably in about the right spot. I think some of the guys around him, I would probably argue differently. In my mind, there's no way you could say personally. There's no way you could say DiMaggio is above Trout, and there's no way uh, Travis. Another debate point. And I know there's no way you could have Griffey above Trout. And I oh, think you do. I, I posted that. Yeah, you, you do yeah. agree with me on that. Um, we, we agree with each other. Uh, let's talk about that for a minute, real quick. Uh, I'm trying to pull up their uh, their jaws and their their work yeah, stats so, because so Griffey finished 13th, and of course Trout was 15th, so two slots above Trout. Um, I guess Greg Maddox is kind of in the middle of that fight, which you know. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it's like it's no, like I, I know. Max is a great pitcher, but it's like <laughs> yeah. he's like right in the middle of this battle for no reason, kind of thing. Exactly, and that's why these lists, I I feel like, are incredibly. It, it definitely is a. It's a tough thing to make, of course. I mean, I, I've always thought, why don't you just make you know top? You you can make top pitchers and then top position players possibly, or even you just focus on their primary positions where you could say okay let's let's make a top 10 of the catchers and let's make a top 10 of the first baseman but some guys of course played other positions that might help them out when you know you look at cooperstown or you look at these lists and it's like man this guy played two different spots in his career and he was great at both of them i'm gonna give him a, i'm gonna give him a little bit of a head up or you know give him a little more credit compared to some of these other guys but um yeah moving on to the trout and griffey um comparisons i know i was kind of it's definitely expected because of how much Griffey is loved, you know, right. being kind of the 
kid being the 90s favorite athlete pretty much him and probably mj best athletes in the 90s when people look at that you know most favorite athletes in the 90s um they just kind of brought the cool side of playing the sport and cool side of playing the game so um tons of style definitely definitely. uh, beloved players travis the center field leaderboards on base reference are they're actually right next to each other trout and griffey are right next to each other on the the leaderboards it's it's a leaderboard for jaws but like it shows all the other kind of stats um for most war player trout was has four times in his career he's been in the league for what a decade 11 years uh, and some and, of, and, some and, of and, that's and, cut short and, and i've always said 11 years but it's been nine full seasons so yeah because we had of course the covid shortening missed some time injuries last, last year. year yeah so uh in reality let's say nine seasons he's four times been the most war player in yeah. mlb incredible Griffey did that once in his career for being top five in war in a season trust on that seven times Griffey only did it five times trout's been top 10 in mlb in war eight times we did it six times so in terms of war trout has already passed them in terms of peak seasons and it's not particularly close and trout still has a whole another probably decade or at least you know a good seven eight years to go um, i would say that you know a decade i feel like he'd age well especially in the corners of the outfield but um mike trout also uh, he's below griffey in war for the career by about i was gonna say isn't it like seven or six points yeah it's like seven I mean, seven un- seven and a half war unbelievable and that means in in one of trout's average seasons if if we get a full season of 2022 when he plays if he could have his worst season of his career as long as he plays the whole thing in 2022 and pass ken griffey jr in career war so already more value and he's played half the amount of time uh that's just uh, the, insane the war seven which takes your best seven years of war and says how valuable were you at your seven best seasons trout is at 65 and griffey's done at 54 so literally 10 more war like 10 more yeah it, it's it's mind-blowing how much better his numbers are trout is war per 162 is at 9.6 where griffey's done at five like it's not even close Double. and if you guys are tired of hearing about war i'll tell you about some other, <laughs> some other stats that also favor trout you know uh obviously trout's numbers will dip when he gets older but as of right now 176 ops plus that's good for a 1002 ops griffey was at a 907 ops on the career 136 ops plus not in the same ballpark really of course griffey has the home runs at 630 trout is still at 310 trout could catch him trout get to 600 yeah he could even if he doesn't though the other numbers are just way too good the defense obviously griffey known for his great defense but their defensive war is the same you could argue that griffey was better uh maybe a little bit more speed out in the outfield but um i think overall very like comparable you know both able to steal bags in their prime um trout actually already has passed him in steals which is and he's has more steals and less caught stealing so wow. more efficient base stealer as wow. well um overall travis king Griffey jr is a great great player um but trout has a better career average better career on base better career slugging more steals uh already he's been in the league for you know half the time um and i really wonder what trout would have to do in his ops every single year if he played 10 more seasons what he'd have to do to stay above griffey or or to at least meet griffey i mean, I mean he'd have to have his oh, worst I, seasons he which because 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 griffey was almost like kind of trout-esque not as good but yeah. still really good and then really fell off yeah in yeah. cincinnati so i think that even if trout fell off 
the times when they were really good, Trout was better. So exactly. in my yeah. mind, like I think there's no possible way Trout could fall off in a way where you know, unless he just becomes an unplayable player, which is not going to happen. Yeah. So yeah, um, the MVP's favorite Trout, he has three to Griffey's one. Uh, it's you know even Trout has more top ten and top five MVP finishes than Griffey did. Trout, yeah. like we keep saying, will be in the league for another decade. So probably finish with fifteen or so silver sluggers. I mean, he'll he'll finish with. Yeah. I mean, if he's healthy, Mike Trout's the best hitting center fielder without a doubt. So, so. I'm, I'm sorry to Mariners fans or kids of the 90s that really love watching Griffey. Trout's a better player. Um, it's pretty clear right now. And so to see him below him is is too bad. I get why, because they kind of think that Trout like... Trout's uh, halfway done and Griffey's done, you know. So I, I understand why the writers did that, but they're wrong. Like it's just kind of yeah. just kind of the yeah. way it is. Um I'm not surprised by it, but um, we're just here to tell you guys the facts. So yeah, and and I guess we'll move down to um, you know, I, I guess we can go over the top ten because okay, you know cool. the top ten, of course, was kind of the big you know everyone was waiting to see top twenty five, but of course, who's the top ten? So uh, finishing tenth, Stan the Man Musial, one of the greatest hitters of all time. No arguments. Uh, ninth, Walter Johnson, the best pitcher on this list. No, which no I arguments. mean, no arguments again, no arguments. So he is ninth. I mean, what I will add, Travis. Some people had arguments. Some people yeah, on Twitter, no. they don't like well, they hate the, the old guys. They don't like the idea of the old guys getting this high. And for me, what I really care about is like, obviously, if Walter Johnson pitched today, he wouldn't do that well. Like the the, mm-hmm. the advancements in like pitching form and yeah. like throwing faster. Every guy throws. Every team is like two guys that can throw a hundred these days. Like yeah, yeah. The, the advancements have been huge over a, a century of baseball. But since Walter since since Walter played in the you know the nineteen teens, but um, <laughs> yeah. what I will say is what I really care about for making those old guys is how much better were you than your peers? Yeah. And Walter is some of the best stats against his peers, like a huge gap. He was one A, and then there was a yeah he was on his own tier essentially. So and um, and, and you look that's at, big for me. And you look at guys nowadays. You know Walter growing up. Uh, Forwards in high school, uh, alum, but I think he came, I think he grew up in, or he was born in Kansas and then came to California. But I mean, you look at these guys growing up back then, it's like, I mean, they probably, they probably didn't even throw baseball. They probably threw stones. They they, 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 they probably skipped rocks and and that's how they learned to to throw. Whereas guys nowadays, five years old, you're start you're, you're playing travel ball. You know, you are literally playing a professionalized almost sport for 15 years before you get into the MLB where these guys are growing up on the farm. And so that's my only argument with these guys where it's just, it's, it's a different upbringing. The level of training and technology was not there back then. Not at all. By any not means. At all. So if you raised Walter Johnson in today's game, he could he, be, he, he'd be, uh, he'd be elite. Of course. He could be. Yeah. So there's no, like the, it, all, all I can say is that like when I'm rating a Walter Johnson or a Ty Cobb or a Babe Ruth, I'm really concerned about, if you if you if you picked them up from 1915 and dropped them now, then of course they'd say, "What the yeah. hell's going on?" You yeah. know, <laughs> Ty Cobb Ty, Ty Cobb probably never saw a slider in his life. But, no, <laughs> but, exactly, but exactly. That doesn't matter. What really matters is uh, how dominant were you in your era. Yeah, that's what I really care about. Yeah. So, and that's a good point. That's a really good point. So Walter Johnson finishing ninth, best pitcher on the on the top 100. I, I would agree. Um, finishing eighth. Barry Bonds, and this of course sparked a lot of yes. uh, good debates and heated arguments. We'll get into that too, but uh, I'll finish out their list. Finishing seventh, Mickey Mantle. So a lot of respect for Mick. Um, you know, not even playing a full twenty seasons, having a pretty much I, I'd say probably a, a almost about a fifteen year prime of just greatness. But he finished above um, Barry Bonds at seven. Finishing sixth, Lou Gehrig, of course, the best first baseman on this list. Uh, and rightfully so, one of the best hitting play, position players of all time. Yep. I mean, he he's one of the best. 
Finishing fifth, Ted Williams. Um, I definitely think Ted Williams is probably the best hitter of all time, best player. This, of course, is where people see him finishing fifth on the list. Um, Ted Williams, top five of all time. And this is, and then going to fourth, Alex, this is kind of how we talk about when we go back to the old days. Ty Cobb finishing fourth, one of the best probably the best contact hitter of all time not known for the home runs but in his time he was a home run hitter he was a slugging guru but that's because he was hitting triples all day long lots of slugging titles and even a home run title but it was a different game it was a different game 12 batting titles for ty cobb i think that might still be one of the best of all time highest batting average of all time 360 uh plus for his entire career so ty cobb hit finishing fourth and also great base dealer bait great base runner great fielder um i think people definitely will say they they know ty cobb as being one of the most like ferocious base dealers and one of the most ferocious base runners i think even um babe ruth had a quote with ty cobb when he was growing up that ty cobb was one of the greatest like i think he had a quote and he 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 used some bad word bad words in there but he was just saying my god can this guy hit like i've yeah. never seen a guy hit like ty cobb so and coming from a guy like babe ruth one thing i'll add there is uh, something you actually told me back in the day was that the very first Hall of Fame ballot ever, Ruth and Cobb both were part of that first inaugural yeah, class, yeah. but Cobb didn't get more votes than Ruth. Mm-hmm. So even I think Ruth might have been active at the time, but it, it just kind of yeah. goes to yeah, show yeah, that he was. Ruth yeah. was so dominant, yet writers at the time, pe- baseball people at the time, had so much respect for Cobb's ability for hit for contact because batting average was so huge back then. Yeah. But um, and Cobb in today's game would be uh, would be one of those guys where you know looking at their uh, integrity and character, they he would, probably he have get, trouble on the ballot. He, he have trouble on today's ballot. But um, he finished fourth, finishing third. Um, Hammer and Hank, Hank Aaron. Uh, people still think the the, the best home run hitter of all time, um, the record holder for home runs, seven fifty five. He finished third, then finishing second, Willie Mays, probably the best. I would say. Like all, five tool, five tool, all athletic outfielder of all time could do it all. Um, I think you said he has one of the best war per seasons of all time or something like yeah, that. I'm yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, well, I think it was 160 uh, plus career war. So he's up there with, I mean, some of the greatest of all time. Yeah, 156 career war 156. Okay. leads all center fielders. Okay. Okay. So yeah, doing what he did at center field, um, just pretty incredible. And then of course, number one, Alex, um, the Bambino babe ruth the face of i think mlb when you look at the history babe ruth has to be of course number one so from this list i know a lot of people were really ticked off with um the old guys um me being one of them uh actually sorry me not being one of them i of course i really respect the old guys i like what they brought to the game um definitely of course you can't watch highlight reels of ty cobb and walter johnson but just looking at the stat lines looking at pictures um I guess there is some highlight reels of these guys, but the, you know, the filming is complete. It's no good. Yeah. Awful. But, uh, definitely, you know what I will say kind of rounding out this top 10 list, Alex, I definitely like the players, maybe not the exact order, but I think that this top 10 list really was pretty accurate in my opinion. I don't I, think I, it's a bad 10. Though. I, I really like it. A lot of people, of course, um, the big question is Barry Bonds. You know, if you're the home run leader and the prime, the seasons you put up, Barry Bonds. No one else ever did that. That Barry Bonds did. But what do you? What is your take on Barry Bonds finishing eighth on this list? Yeah. So, um, uh, there were people who think Bonds should be number one. From what I saw on Twitter, Travis, a lot of new school minds on Twitter. Of course, it's a lot of very forward thinking, um, new school. Yeah, baseball fans and analysts. A lot of them think that you know, you know. Bonds was pretty much putting up Ruth numbers in the modern era, whereas Ruth was yeah. doing it in like a historic era. Yeah, yeah. So 
I guess my only thought is Travis, it really completely comes down to what you're measuring, what you, what's your scale, right? Yeah. Are you going to say that steroids have no penalty? We're not going to ding you at all. If that's the case, then Bond should probably be number one because yeah. he was putting, putting up Babe Ruth numbers in the modern era, which everyone else who did steroids could not do that. No one else was breaking the game quite like Bonds was. So if you're saying there's no penalty for roids, um, I would say the eight's too low. He should be number one or at least number two or three. Um, but Travis, the difference was they had A-Rod at 26. They had Clemens up in the 20s, was it? Yeah, Clemens is 17, yeah. Clemens so- 17, so... If you're gonna say Clemens and A Rod are, yeah. are, are are like are down there, obviously they are taxing uh, the rankings for steroids. If you did do steroids, they're ranking you lower than otherwise you would have. So in my mind, it makes sense why they have him at eighth because they're just saying we're not gonna put him above these legends like Aaron, like Mantle, because we know that Bonds for sure it was not a clean player. Um, so I understand the, the eighth place ranking. Some people say, you know, that's not right. He should have been number one. I, I don't think I'm there. I think I'm okay with, you know, him being there as long as we're consistently saying steroid guys are going to be dinged, I guess they're in their yeah, ranking. Do, yeah. do you agree with that? Kind of I, mindset? I, I definitely agree. And honestly, I could, if, if you wanted to move him up to the sixth spot, maybe you could have flipped him and Lou Gehrig. I would have been, you know what? That's fine too. Um, Barry Bonds played outfield. He was a lot, probably more athletic than Lou Gehrig. So I definitely see the 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 reason why Barry Bonds should be higher on the list because you know, or you know, '90s Barry Bonds. He was winning Gold Gloves. He was he was being you yes. know a threat on the base pass. So you got to give that a lot of credit too. Yes, five um, tool. And you know, it's interesting that having Mantle above Bonds. I think that would be a big debate too. Um, having someone like and- Mantle that didn't play as long, and I think you know, Mantle has his kind of his his off the field issues with, of course, I think just like the alcoholism and then just kind of being, I mean, he's, um, his injuries, like yeah. it makes him a really big, what if, and it's, it's kind of funny. People, I saw people arguing this, like how can bonds be below mantle? Look at their numbers, blah, blah, blah. What I'll say is I think mantle and bonds are both some of the biggest question marks. What would mantle's career been if he was healthy? What would bonds career career been if he never did a steroid? It's like these two questions. Like we don't know what these guys so what, Definitely. What could their trajectory look like in like a normal universe where there's not these crazy? Let me ask happening? you: What would you what would you rather have on a team? Would you ever have the most prime mantle, or the most prime bonds? Like, what, what would you what would uh, you want for your team? Are we saying steroid bonds or prime I, unsteroid? I'll I'll say I'll say steroid prime bonds. Yeah, I'll say that. Or would you rather have mantle? Um, I think it has to be steroid bonds. I mm-hmm. think steroid bonds is uh, too valuable of an on base and home run machine, like too deadly of a combo. Um, if we're talking about like taking a steroid tax, I would go with Mantle. I think Mantle, I'm super high on. Obviously, I praised them when we did our all MLB team of all time kind of thing. Um, Mantle for me, uh, at his peak, is like the, like you know the most athletic five tool kind of guy, switch hitter, good defense, base running, all of it. Um, had a bum knee his entire career. I think at the end he had two bum knees. Yeah. I saw I saw a clip on Twitter just this morning, and it was him kind of doing a trotting the bases on a home run. Yeah. And he, he looks so much in pain. Yeah. He literally was <laughs> hobbling around the bases after hitting a home run. So somehow he has the strength to crack it over the Kirk fence. Gibson, yeah. But then he, he, he's, his knees are just shot and he's like walking the base pass practically. And, and people were also kind of saying, Travis on, on that. Give, exact- give bonds of steroids to mantle. And what kind of player is that? You know? Right. Right. <laughs> cause, cause, cause of course bonds extended his career. He was, you know, a 40-something-year-old is not supposed to be able to do those kind of numbers, but the steroids kind of kept him able to put up these kind of crazy numbers. 
um, in his older age. Mantle, of course, had to retire early from his injuries, so that that's how that that got affected, I guess. On that on that video, I'm talking about where he hit the home run. I guess people were pointing out on Twitter that it was like a piped fastball, like it was kind of a, it was almost like a BP kind of pitch. It, the, and, when I saw on Twitter, that pitch looked like it was possibly going 60 miles an hour, and it just looked like it was down the pipe. And I'm just like. Okay, that thing just looks like it can just be demolished by anybody. But yeah, so so, so I I understand why people say like you're gonna call Mantle the sixth or seventh best ever when this guy's pitching to him. You gotta you know it's like the it's like the the grocery store clerk is up there on the mound yeah. pitching to you. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand it. Like people say, oh yeah, Babe Ruth was was playing with plumbers or whatever you want to say. <laughs> I I understand. Yeah. I understand the point. But my I guess all I'm saying is, um, Mantle was putting up hitting numbers that no one else could in that era especially some, being a center fielder. some of the yeah. best peak numbers being a five to center fielder for me that's worth a lot even though yes the pitching then was much worse than the pitching now there's no debating that mm-hmm. pitching then is much worse than the pitching of bonds era where he has to face randy johnson and greg maddox and stuff obviously um but what i will say is that looking at a guy like mantle or a guy like ruth um i understand that the competition was worse back then but they were so far above the competition that I give him lots of props. Um, you, you definitely got to think about a lot of things. I mean, you got to think about the equipment that they're using back in the 20s and throughout the 50s. I mean, I mean, I can't imagine holding a Babe Ruth bat nowadays and how I mean, people always said how heavy that thing was and how, you know, it, even even looking back at Ty Cobb days, I don't even think they had a knob on the bat. I think it literally was it, it was almost like the 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 handle of the bat was almost as thick as the barrel. And it's like these bats just look I, I mean, yeah. imagine giving Babe Ruth like. A, a, a practically a broomstick and it's yeah. like go up there and hit with this thing and it's it, i mean it, it's kind of or even like a, a shovel a shovel stick and it's just it, it's kind of insane to see to see you know the equipment that was used and that's kind of like with all sports i mean you look at fo- the- football back in the day and you even look at in baseball too the gloves i mean the how could you catch i've seen some catcher's mitts from the 1920s and it's like how do you catch a baseball from walter johnson with you know oven mitt with an oven mitt and it's like you must be breaking every freaking bone in your hand after and, the game. I mean, it, it's incredible. I mean, yeah. Travis, and what I'll add is like, if you were to find a way to have a Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, um, whoever else you want, Kiermaier outfield in the 1910s or whatever, I promise you Cobb's average would be worse. Cause if they had really elite outfielders with elite gloves and like good equipment, and are, stuff, they, are, are they like, using oven mitts in the outfield though? <laughs> no, see, the, exactly. That's, that's exactly my point is like, I think that like so many, there's so many high batting averages of the dead ball era. Cause these guys are, you know, it's like put the ball in play and we'll beat it out. Cause they have to like fill it with this weird glove. And like, it, it, it's, it's just completely They're probably times. coming in on a ball and they can't, they can't, uh, you know, they, it gets lost in the sun or something. I mean, yeah, you know, you, you definitely make a good point at that because I guarantee there are probably, there are probably hundreds of hits from all those guys era where it was just a stupid like, OK, this guy got a triple on, on a stupid triple. Like, you know, they literally probably subbed some guy in who literally was playing, who, who was probably a, a lumber mill guy two yeah. weeks ago. And it's like, oh, yeah, we found some guy who uh, can throw can throw a baseball uh, in, in, in the Pittsburgh yards or something like that. And it's like. Okay, bring him in, and it's kind of yeah. like this guy is no is, new, is, new new reliever. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I see both points where it's like okay, you know, you can make the argument where okay, these guys should not be ranked so high because you know, look at the guys nowadays, like they would be so awful in today's game. But also, you look at the upbringing, you look at the equipment, you look at the um the I, I guess you know the the therapy that is in today's game where oh yeah know, the recovery and all that yeah. kind of we know, the medical science we know now. I mean, we've seen pictures of those, of those. I mean, Ty Cobb's shoes. I mean. 
I, I would be, I'd, I'd probably would have tore every single muscle in my foot if I'm yeah. walking around. The, I mean, those shoes look like the most uncomfortable. It's almost like sandals <laughs> stitched into leather, and it's like just put these metal spikes. Put that some are gonna, nails on them, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so you, um, you brought up a great point just now. Uh, you sparked a great thought in my mind when you said, like the medical stuff that's different. Because what if Mantle played today? And they fixed his knees when he was a rookie, when he tore his whatever. Just take one year I, I, out to I, recover. Yeah, I think he, I think he tore his like ACL and MCL and like just wiped out his whole knee, and they just like stitched it up and like told him to play on it, and he became rapid, a Hall of Famer. Rapid for fifteen years, yeah. It's like yeah. it's like imagine if today they just did proper surgery and like he could be Mike Trout in like you know yeah. it, it, switch it, hitter, it, switch it's, hitter, yeah. It, it's really interesting how and you the, see how big he was too. I mean, he was a big stocky dude that can run like the win so so yeah it's interesting the advantages and disadvantages of playing in those older eras uh travis one other thing that we'll argue uh because as people are talking about on twitter is i saw i think over half the tweets i saw about this list were people saying why is ruth number one i know for a fact that you would have ruth number one yeah. and i would have ruth number one yeah. so i'm just gonna make a picture and position player I, i'm just gonna make my case as to why i think i would put ruth number one and i'll be honest i, I think i think one and two are spot on i think Mays is number two i think i think he he fits the bill i think he's probably one of the best position players of all time when it comes to all around i mean he's probably the most five tool guy i mean stat line i've seen so yeah and i think uh comparing Mays to mantle to williams it comes down to how much are you factoring in defense yeah how much are you Base factoring running, in best seasons versus just full career of counting stats? It's it's all about preference at that point in my yeah, mind. Yeah. But to pick a number one that you and I both agree on and that the writers agree on, but a lot of fans don't agree on, I want to make the case for the Ruth thing right yeah. now. So I, I made a tweet about this. I'm gonna just going to read it off. Um, oh, I saw that. I like that. Yeah. Did you? You're getting, you're getting kind of active this week. I, yeah. I, I was. I was getting heated. Uh, <laughs> but uh, well, well, essentially, this was, this was my breakdown. Um they're calling Ruth the greatest player ever. In my mind, it depends on what they're trying to measure. The greatest ever, uh, Ruth was so far above his peers statistically in a way that few athletes have ever been. Um, I, I honestly don't know. We, we may think it, but I don't know if we ever will see a guy that was so above the competition in any sport. Exactly. Uh, I, I mean, people, you can even compare Tiger Woods and Wayne Gretzky, but I think Ruth was... So I, much more. I think so. I mean, I think you're right. You, you definitely. I mean, like people said, like a mythical god creature playing the sport that nobody could he, even remotely come to even a, a tenth of what he could because do. Because he was hitting more home runs than other teams. And the the, the comparison I, I I made up in the tweet, Travis, was what if you drop Steph Curry into the '80s and he started shooting these threes like he does now back exactly, then? Exactly. Yeah. They'd be like. This is like he's shooting. This is wizard, he's hitting, wizardry. Yeah. He's hitting more threes than our whole team did all season. Like, what is even going Very on true. here? Yeah. So, I continue by kind of saying uh, that's for greatest ever. He was so far above his peers. Best ever, it will always be a modern player. If you're saying who's just the best, just pound for pound, you put them in any era, they'll succeed. I think the best ever will be a modern player. I don't think Ruth will be able to hit very well off the Grom's 94 mile an hour slider, sure, his 102, sure. yeah. 102 mile an hour fastball. I think that. Those numbers would blow him away a bit. Seeing uh, seeing Degrom's ninety four an hour slider move that much, he'd be like, well, "This is I thought how is a fastball moving like this?" Like he'd be so confused. Witchcraft, um, exactly. And so I think it's unfair. Um, it's, it's it's unfair to Ruth to say he would not compete with guys like today because he was raised in an era. 
where there's like a different standard, different level of knowledge of medical stuff like we mentioned, different knowledge of even baseball technique. He was probably inventing stuff on the fly saying, this is how, I'm going to swing with an uppercut and I'm going to hit a bunch of home runs. He was kind of going um, kind of on the spot. So the training, the technology, and the knowledge of the game have grown so much in 100 years. It's unfair to Ruth to hold him to that standard. I kind of conclude by saying I think that if we're talking about just the best player ever, not the greatest, but just the best player ever, based on skill, I think it's probably Mike Trout. I think it's always going to be whoever's best right now is probably the best player ever. Just because if you put Trout in the 20s, he's, I mean, it's he, he, they probably ban him from the game. It's, it's probably something stupid. So um, I pretty much go with saying Trout is probably the best player ever because he is the product of our current understanding of peak performance in baseball. And someone else will probably be better than him, quote unquote, in a couple of decades. Even if they're not greater than Trout, they will probably use what Trout did and just try to make tweaks to continue improving the game of baseball. Um, that's how I see it. And I think the only other real argument against Ruth to say he's not the GOAT is the argument of segregation, which I think is actually very fair because maybe Ruth is not as far ahead of his peers if the league was integrated. Yeah. If you had Josh Gibson playing at the time, if you had, you know, cool Papa, yeah. we talk about all the Negro League legends, of course, in that 20s, 30s era, if they were playing and Bay was even commenting on a lot of them saying, I've never seen a hitter like this. Yeah, 100%. He gave them as much props as anyone as Williams, a lot of the best hitters of all time give so much props to the Negro leaguers saying, if these guys were in our league, they would be like me. Like, yeah. that, this, this, this is what I this is what this is how they see it. So I think the gap between him and his peers would would shrink quite a bit if they did a lot of Negro League talent in the time. Um, but I still think that I would bet that Ruth, no matter who was in the league with him, would have profoundly changed baseball with the home run revolution. So in my mind, I think that I would still have Ruth as number one um, just because of even if there was Negro Leaguers integrated, I think that Ruth was too far above everyone else. Yeah. Give me your argument because I know you agree that Ruth um, – would be your number one if you made this list. Yeah, and I think that you you summed it up very well with um, just how how far ahead of the competition he was. We have never seen anyone like that in at least baseball that far ahead. I mean, right now we can definitely say Mike Trout is – there's a huge gap between Mike Trout and the next guy up. If we want to say Juan Soto, if we want to say um, – you know, you could but, say Betts or Acuna. But it, it is way more competitive now it is, than, yeah. than then. Of course. Then it, it was Ruth and then, you know, Gary was really good. And then it's like, who? Way, way more competitive. So I definitely see that. Um, I also look at Ruth playing, you know, having a great pitching career and having a great, you know, position hitting career. I mean, just imagine if Ruth would have started this kind of onslaught before you know on the red Sox before pitching we'd be looking at 800 home runs we'd be looking at i mean you'd be even looking at ruth probably for 900 home runs i mean you could really just say he was dedicated for pitching the first what is it five or six years of his yeah. career and i know he did still hit home runs he still was hitting those seasons but, but it was hit, like yeah it was like single digits even sometimes and just imagine if he really fully focused on the hitting aspect of the game we'd be looking at a guy with um numbers that probably would never ever get reached ever ever again i mean we're looking at probably close to almost th almost three thousand rbis probably and so um i look at that with ruth so i definitely like him number one um but again you made a good point with of course dropping some of the modern guys into the sport back then i mean you put um you put mike trout in you know on, on the 19 
19, you know, 18 Boston Red Sox or, you know, Yankees, he's out there making, you know, he, he's out there doing the most foolish things he, ever. He's the best at everything. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I just have this thought. If you put Soto back there, he probably has like 800 on base. Like he just yeah, yeah, <laughs> swings at no yeah, bad pitches. Yeah. And, and guys are probably saying like, you know, guys are guys are probably pissed off at him because they're saying, why are you, why do you like walks? Like, what, I mean, what, what you, you want, like going up there to walk is kind of like going up there and you don't want to try. It's kind of like yeah. you swing the bat, dude. Like, you know, put, put, put some contact on, on the ball. But and, and th- that's a big part of it in my mind. Like the knowledge of the game has grown so much yeah. since Ruth's time. We have a much better idea. Swinging for power generates the most runs. That's why everyone does it these days. Getting walks helps generate the most runs. These like people just know like you know how the game I guess kind of works. And back then Ruth was kind of ahead of the game because he was walking a lot and he was hitting obviously the most power by anyone. So. Um, Ruth had the and, Ruth and, had the winning equation early. Yeah, guys were just you know they weren't intentionally walking in, but they're saying don't don't give this guy anything to hit. You know, p- managers are probably thinking why would he even just give this guy something to remotely come close to hitting? He's going to gap it or he's going to hit it out of the park. So uh, I, I I I like of course Ruth number one. I know people did not like it. Um, they can you know people can think whatever they want. I mean people people make the list they make their list all the time, and sometimes it's just complete nonsense but Sounds miserable yeah but but you know for me i actually was not I, I was i was actually impressed so far with the top 10 i thought the top 10 was remotely pretty spot on and accurate um you know i think in times and you'll be seeing hopefully you'll be seeing a guy like trout i think i think trout of course will easily be passing barry bonds if they have to keep this list and you know trout can only get higher i think people will definitely say trout was better than bonds one day um because i think as being like the most modernist guy on I think the list. We, acknowledge, we think we acknowledge that Trout is probably above Bonds in Bonds' pre-steroid era. Yeah. So as long as Trout can keep that up, that steroid tax that Bonds is getting on this kind of ranking is going to, I think, put Trout above him. I agree. It, 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 I mean, it's something we can't see, but it'd be interesting to see some sort of like simulation to see no steroids with Bonds and, you know, Bonds finishing with 580 home runs, you know. Because – uh, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but no. right now someone did like a, a through age twenty nine season. Yeah, Trout and Bonds, and Trout's numbers were better across the board. Yeah, every yeah, single yeah. stat was better. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I've seen stats like that too, where they go and they compare them to you know WAR guys. I think a couple of seasons ago, Trout was up there with the best WAR through it was yeah age twenty eight season, and I think Ty Cobb was the only guy that was maybe a little bit higher or right next to him below him but i, th- I think i think cobb was higher because of the shortened 60 game season okay trout was above him until then okay okay so it's, and see that, that's kind of stuff that's cool to see because you can definitely you definitely know okay trout is tracking to be in all time yeah. barry bond's first 10 years you know pittsburgh and early years of, of of san francisco it's like okay this is this is this is natural barry bond which is again like i said hall of famer i mean yes it, he is hall of fame worthy he is doing things that no one's ever done um, and so that's why it's just, it, it definitely is kind of a, it, it's an interesting look and a weird look to look at it where, you know, you're already on track for the hall of fame, a hall of fame and, you know, things just happen. You, you, you want to be the most competitive guy. I know we talked about in the last couple episodes and, uh, he saw that, he saw that Sosa Maguire love. Yeah. I mean, guys like that are just looking like, I mean, I, I, I looking at Mark Maguire's forearms is just a freak of nature. Yeah. I mean, these guys look like they're carved out of like Greek gods carved, um, back in, you know, BC. And so it, it's kind of just insane to, to see these guys in the, in the late nineties, how they developed in these stars into the early two thousands. But, you know, so far I, I really have nothing against this list. Um, I think the biggest ones were, you know, when you start getting above like 10, you start going into, into the teens, into the twenties, then you're kind of thinking, okay, how do you not have a guy like Alex Rodriguez higher than some of these guys on this list? I mean, honestly, I probably would have had a rod, 
I probably, I mean, yeah, like you said, I probably would have had A-Rod in the top 15. I mean, A-Rod's got to be a top 15 guy. I mean, if, if you want to just get all the steroids out of the way. I think A-Rod's better than Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. Well, Charles, one thing, one thing I also want to touch on before we wrap up is I just, I'm just trying to kind of reflect what I saw on Twitter. Lots of people upset at the placing of the number one catcher in our list, which was Johnny Bench. Can you tell me where he was at? 29th, right? But right between Jeter and Pujols. I was, yeah, I was just going to say that. So they do not like catchers. <laughs> I, I understand why, because a lot of times catchers are not playing the full season in in the same way that position players are. Because they, of course, are you just beat up like nothing right. else. Yeah, Right. They need more time to recover. And then they're, you know, if their knees go in their mid-30s, they're just going to be done. Like yeah. you can't play the position anymore. But on the topic of bench, I think when you're such a unanimous best of your position, at least in terms of uh, all around AL NL players, yeah. I'm not, yeah, uh, Josh Gibson's another conversation completely. Yeah. And Travis, I think actually he's on the list, right? Josh Gibson? Yeah. I think they ranked a few Negro League players, and I think they were kind of snubbed, if you're not right. mistaken. You know what? Yeah, you're right right here. 35. 35. Which is, I feel like that's low. 35 like, is Josh Gibson. If you're yeah. going to rank them at all, just kind of. I think you have to just kind of pretend like they played their whole career in the MLB. Because if you like, like Josh Gibson, then you have to put him in like the top ten. I mean, I mean, I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's because yeah. yeah. I mean, if Satchel gonna, Page is 40, 41. Um, right. Yeah, I, I did not I, catch I, that with some I, of these guys. I Oscar the, Charleston, fifty three. Yeah. It's like I think I think people say Oscar Charleston was Willie Mays before Willie Mays. So even though he was playing, of course, in Negro leagues, I think that you have to give them a little bit more props if you're going to put them at all. If you would just say we're going to leave them off because the data is not really good enough uh, in our minds to compare them to guys who have, you know, 20 seasons where, you know, we only have like a couple, a, you know, like maybe like a, a dozen games played for them in this one year. So I understand why they would want to, I guess, I can understand why they're hard to rank, but if you're going to rank them at all, I say you have to give them more props than they did. So uh, seeing bench up at 29 as a catcher, um, obviously they just think catchers, uh, provide less value because there's less games yep. played, but comparing bench to the rest of the catchers, he's so far above the pack in my mind, at least he's an obvious number one best catcher. So I think I would have to have him a bit higher than, yeah. than they do. I would have to have Gibson a bit higher than they do because Gibson's home run power. People talk about it like it's the best of all time, better than all the Negro league players, sometimes better than Babe Ruth. So if that's the case, um, he has to be higher for me too. Yeah, and I know we talked about too. One other guy, uh, Rogers Hornsby. Um, uh -huh. I, I know people have even made comparisons as being, or you know, saying that he could be the best right-handed hitter of all time um, at number twenty. And he is, of course, the best second baseman. I believe, you know, we, we will easily say the best second baseman of all time. Uh, it seems definitely kind of high, or you know, in a in a really weird spot at number twenty when. You know, he's kind of like a guy like Babe Ruth or like some of these guys where you look at the competition around him. It, it was just, I mean, doing things that no one could do. I mean, he 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 is a good comparison, I feel like, to almost like a Ty Cobb where he just had so many bolded stat lines, italicized and bolded stat lines in his stat line for uh, baseball reference that it kind of just it seems really unfair to have him at number 20 when yeah. a guy like maybe even like DiMaggio, Griffey Jr., you know, I, I feel like there are a lot of guys on this list that did not have as much of like bolded type of years where they right. were the best. And so it, it definitely is another guy that I, I would I would like to see a little bit, you know, towards at, the top at, 10. At so. the time when Ruth was being the dominant American League bat, Hornsby was the dominant National League bat. Yeah. And even sometimes was leading all of MLB in like OPS, OPS plus Couple 400, war. 400 batting seasons. I mean, 100%. Yeah. And that's coming from a second baseman, Travis. When you're when you're a consensus 
Like, if you study the game of baseball deeply, there's no way you could say anyone else is the best second baseman ever, in my mind at least, easily. personally. No, 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 easily. And so if that's the case... Joe Morgan is is in a conversation, but to I, me, I, he's, I, he's not at all. The main reason he is in the conversation is because he's more modern. Yeah. But the, from a numbers perspective, it's not close. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think for that reason... Joe Morgan brought the defense and the speed, but, yes. you know, you look at everything and, else... And the peak season is very good. High, yeah. high war peak season. Yes, yes. But... You know, back-to-back MVPs for Morgan, but I think for Hornsby, when you are such a consensus best of your position ever, what was his rank? He was twentieth. Yeah, I think I think I would have to have him top fifteen. It, it's not too crazy far off, but um, he's almost to me like it's it's probably comparable to Musial. Like you have Musial Very ten, because Musial's not a defender. He played outfield and first base. Very true. Hornsby is playing second base and putting up similar hitting numbers. So um, definitely very interesting. But, of course, Musial will get more love. Um, being a bit more modern, Cardinal player. Both Cardinal players, but probably more be- more beloved, a Cardinal stand the man. So, I mean, I, I get it. Um, but, yeah, lots of things that I would have done differently. I think you agree. But at the same time. And even for me, even Cy Young, I mean, I, I think he, he had some – you know the the awards named after him. He has the most wins of all time. But you know, even him finishing at twenty first, and you have Tom Seaver, Randy Johnson, Christy Mathewson all finishing behind him. I, I think I, I would I'd probably have some of those guys probably finishing before him, in my opinion. But um, I think I think I think Cy Young had some seasons that were so prime and so good. But I think that just the longevity of him that that's what really had him having a great career. But yes. um, I think other guys had some good prime seasons. Randy Johnson, you know, kind of like that, the four year prime of Randy Johnson is just so stupid and elite that yes. um, I, I might have him above, you know, a guy like Cy Young, but yeah, yeah. I'm sure you'd have, you know, if you just look at the a position by position, like you would have Randy probably in your top five pitchers. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. We made so, that list. Yeah. So, yeah. and obviously Cy Young was not on our list. So, um, you know, we're in agreement on that. Tons of examples of stuff we would do differently, but uh, at the end of the day, um, it's very difficult to rank these guys that are in different positions and trying to figure out, you know, where does Hornsby stack up amongst uh, great center fielders. It's hard to kind of analyze, but um, anything else, any other like standouts that we should go over? Nothing else. I mean, I, it's fun also looking at the at the bottom uh, bottom of the 100. Um, some notable names, of course, uh, you know, Pudge Rodriguez, number 90, you know, he, huh. he was way below on the all-time catchers. Carlton Fisk was ahead of uh, Pudge, and I think I had Pudge on my almost my all-AL team or, or, you know, in the conversation of the all-AL team. So he, of course, I think was probably bottom. He was definitely lower than, like, fifth or sixth all-time catchers. They have guys like Roy Campanella and Carlton Fisk uh, already ahead of, you know, Pudge wow. Rodriguez, where I thought Pudge, of course, one of the best defenders of all time, uh, up there with Johnny Bench. Um, he would get a lot of love, but he's down there at 90, and then... I wonder if there's any effect of the steroid allegations that have come out It since. definitely, yeah. No, I, de- I think it definitely could be. Um, and then I think the biggest one was just, I mean, I was amazed, Bryce Harper, getting getting love at 94. Um, I, I, you know looking at kind of the pitchers in today's game you could have said something of even you could be saying something like like Degrom, but i know he has not played a, I think a, full, a full 10 seasons right but, I was but about, his eliteness is I, so good i was about to ask you travis who's like the lowest ranked pitchers the, like couple the couple like in the 90s or 80s it's what, uh what so the lowest ranked pitcher is phil necro and then you also have john smoltz at 93 roy halliday at 92 and that's it for the three pitchers in the 90s so yeah i think i think if like two more Cy Young, like high voting seasons for DeGrom, and I think he could crack this list. I think two, three more years of, you know, good years from bets, he cracks this list. I think a lot of guys are really on the verge of get, getting in here. 
Um, Kershaw, if he has a, has a good next contract, if he leaves the Dodgers or, or stays, um, if, if it's a good next contract for him and he continues to be productive, he can climb the list continuously. So um, tons of active players can continue to leave their mark uh, and climb the list or get onto the list. Um, One guy I actually saw right now that I'm kind of upset now is uh, number 40, Jimmy Fox. Um, wow. Double X, not getting... I thought he was above pools. I guess I was wrong no, about that. No, yeah, uh, he finished 40, and um, guys like Barra, Jackie Robinson, all finished ahead of him. So I guess people wow. think Jackie and Barra were better I'll, better players than Fox. I'll, but. I'll just say, we, we, we talk about Fujol... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a fool, yeah. That was a, a bit of a Freudian slip. I, I think that... We are talking about Pujols and Jeter. Correct, yeah. Um, everything we said about that applies to Fox versus Jeter. Yeah. Obviously, the arrows are different, but in my mind, Fox is just kind of Albert Pujols, but like didn't have that same fall-off, but he played in a different era. And he played in the 30s, but he was like on a multiple— Great, great Lou Gehrig rival. Mul- yeah. Multiple World Series, uh, went to multiple World Series, has ring, uh, triple crown, just MVPs, uh, amazing top three first baseman ever, same as Pujols. So I think that— um, them being that far apart as a head scratcher and then both being below guys like Jeter is is more head scratching too. But um, yeah, like we said, I think if we went through the list, we would be able to nitpick, you know, a big handful of guys saying I'd have him a bit higher. Oh, he's a bit overrated. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's difficult. I'm not going to act like we would make a perfect list. If, no. we, if we try to do this, it'd be tough. We'd, we'd be slaving over it for a, a long time. A top 10 would be, would be, I think, pretty comparable to this one. Uh, a top 25 would probably have, very, of course, the very similar players. I probably would have maybe five guys that are out of the top 25 in the top 25. But like I said, when you get into the 40s through, you know, all the way to 100, it's kind of just like, Okay, we're we're, we're now now we're kind of just picking random guys, or it's kind of like okay, who, it becomes about favorites, and it becomes exactly. about you know, oh, like I'll play for my team kind of thing. It definitely it's and, like who's and, better, Frank Thomas or Ernie Banks? Who do you have? Who who who's better? It's like you know, right like here they have Frank Thomas, on, two spots, but yeah. So and and, and I, that's why it's a good thing that they at least have a pool of writers and analysts that probably make their votes and they kind of average it to make this list. But um, still. like big big question, Alex, who's better, Dave Winfield or Pete Alexander? Give me Pete. Give me well, Pete. They, Sorry. They, they they said give me Dave. Really? <laughs> yeah. 56 I mean, Dave and 57 Pete. But it's gonna yeah. be impossible to compare <laughs> a, a dead ball starting pitcher with a, a home run hitter from the yeah, yeah, more yeah. modern times. Uh if we did that, it'd be really hard. So I'm not gonna, you know, hate on them too hard. But that probably wraps things up, right, Travis. I think we covered everything we kind of set out to cover. Um, I'm not sure when the next episode will be, Travis. Um, it really will kind of come down to when, when the next, lockout ends. Yeah. When the next next big breaking news comes out of the lockout, um, hopefully we can get back to free agent action soon enough. At some point, Travis, we also will start our player rankings. We want to rank players at position at best the positions um, going into the 2022 season. Um, it, it's also fun to do that because you know halfway through, halfway through the season we can be oh Travis I was right about you know. I think Lowe is the best second baseman, and I was right, or whatever. I don't know so about that. Yeah. We'll see when we get there. But um, uh, I'm excited to get into those lists. Hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, we can have progress on the CBA front on the negotiation so we can uh, have new content to cover. But uh, for this episode, that wraps things up. So go ahead, and uh, if you made it this far, much love. Please uh, give us a like, subscribe, whatever. Uh, heads up on Twitter if you you know disagree with our takes. Um, we'd love to engage. But for the time being, we'll talk to you guys next week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs>